We're continuing in our series uh, that uh, you can see the, the slide there, faith, faith That Works, Following Jesus in All of Life. And today we're talking about uh, judgment and mercy, judgment and mercy. Whether it's the number of uh, male politicians in the Australian Parliament, whether it's uh, Matt Lucas being helped out by Paul Hollywood controversially in Bake Off, uh, whatever it is, accusations of favouritism are constant in our society. Often rightly so. On the one hand, many of us seem to look for advantage in our lives because of our status, perhaps our education or our wealth. On the other hand, we, we're quick to shout foul when we think someone else might have received the favours, often the same favours we were looking at for ourselves. What for one person is leveraging your reputation is someone else's bad governance or, or cheating. And this is what James is going to be talking about this week as we dive into chapter 2. How does the behaviour of a Christian reflect the change that has occurred in their hearts? When someone has put their faith in Jesus, can people see the difference in their lives? James is going to take us through this important subject. At first, when we start this chapter, it seems a bit narrow, but in actual fact, it's very broad. And he really does address the question, how is our faith working? James is going to poke us in the eye a bit on the subject. He's going to ask us, how, we, how do we behave towards one another generally? How do we behave towards one another in the church? So to give us some structure, and if you're taking notes today, to give you some nice little titles that you can highlight, uh, we're going to tackle this under five headings, five verbs that outline James's teaching. They're going to appear on the screen. We're going to look at instructing, illustrating, imitating, interrogating, and imparting. We're going to look at instructing, we're going to look at, we're going to receive a command about favouritism. We're going to think about illustrating, we're going to be uh, given an example of what James means. We're going to look at imitating, we're going to look at who we should be aiming to be like in this area of uh, favouritism. We're going to look at interrogating, we're going to be interrogated a bit, we're going to be pushed into a bit, a bit deeper. And finally, in parting, James is going to point out to us a couple of proverbs, a couple of truths that take us from that specific command at the beginning of the chapter through to an important truth at the end. And that important truth is that God is merciful and he commands us to be merciful. God is merciful and commands us to be merciful. But also James doesn't want to forget you, to forget all the other applications and all the other stuff in between. You can't just cut to the end. We've got the other bit in between. So let's dive in. Let's have the, the Bible open in front of you. If you're new to the Bible, when we're talking about chapters, that's the big number. When we're talking about verses, that's the small numbers that come afterwards. Let's dive in then. Our first point, James starts by instructing his readers what God wants us to do. He gives us a command. Verse 1. Really straightforward. 
very very simple christians must not show favoritism that's it he doesn't specify a particular kind of favoritism don't show any kind of favoritism he's repeating a command here that that uh, jesus talked about it originally you'll find it back in, in leviticus chapter 19 verse 15 it says it says they judge people fairly don't show favoritism james gonna james will get into the why that that matters in a minute but first of all it's the command my my grandma used to say to me uh, do what you're told when you're told you can ask why afterwards but do what you're told when you're told wise words james is the same he's just telling us don't show favoritism and, and having given that instruction then he moves on to give us a couple of verses, verses 2 to 4, illustrating that. Our second point, illustrating what he means by favoritism, what he means by partiality. You can see there verse 2. Uh, a man comes into uh, a church meeting. We don't know what kind of church meeting. It's just some kind of gathering of the church. Uh, and he's well-dressed. He is wearing uh, a gold ring. If you're wearing a gold ring at this time, it means you're definitely uh, either upper class or you're nobility. Nobody else wore gold rings. So we know he's wealthy. We know that he's also got a high social status. Uh, and they show him a, a nice seat. Based on our service, presumably it wasn't a seat on the front row, but it was presumably a seat close to the front row because uh, no one's on the front row. Uh, Ridge. Um then someone else comes in and they're not well dressed. Uh, they are poorly dressed, their clothes are, are dirty. And they're told to sit on the floor or stand in a corner. And, and it looks as though this is a hypothetical example, uh, but it, it was probably one that some of the churches he's writing to at the time were, were experiencing. The majority of believers in the first century church were poor. They were, they were agricultural workers, fishermen, you know, just, just regular, regular folks. But, but we also know there were a number of wealthier people as well. They're, they're recorded in the Bible as well. Um, and, and it looks like, in some circumstances, um, yeah, visitors... And, and probably believers as well, were being treated inequitably from time to time, based on their wealth, based on their appearance, based on their social standing. James could have talked about any number of things. He could have talked about education, age, people's looks, ethnicity, gender. All of these are referred to in the Bible as being things that God is looking for equity with. All of these things are referred to uh, uh, and and where people show uh, favoritism in these areas they are criticized he's, he's picked wealth in this case it could have been any of them the world makes judgments on these things the world makes judgments on these things all the time let's call it favoritism let's call it discrimination it is unloving and it is clearly according to this passage and according to what we know of god it is evil on the other hand, God looks not at the external things, but he looks at our heart. And he judges correctly and perfectly.
in, in verse 4 there, James says, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That, that discriminating among yourselves has the, has the same kind of language from chapter 1, verse 8, where someone is described as being double-minded. Uh, the yourselves there seems to be more, I was never good at English, uh, second person, singular, anyway. Uh, it, it, so it's not, it's not saying you, the, the crowd of readers, it's you in your mind have been double-minded. James is saying you, you know how a Christian should respond, you know how, how the world responds, both of those things are in your mind, they're warring against each other and sometimes you behave the way the world behaves. You've made a judgment based on external factors <coughs> that be grounded in evil thoughts. When Christians choose to behave in that way, we, we do not, look back into chapter 1, verse 27, we do not display a religion that God our Father accepts as pure as faultless, pure and faultless. We are not, as our series title says, we're not following Jesus in all of our life. When we do that, we're following the world in our lives. We should be following Jesus, not the world. Our third point then, verse 5, we should be imitating Jesus. We should be imitating God. It's him who we're called to follow. God does not show favoritism. How do we know that? Well, we see it throughout the Bible. He, he tells us this is, this is true. The character of God the Father, of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is impartial. The actions of God the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit are impartial. We do not see anything else. Let me read for you from Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 10, 17 to 19. Uh, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. You've got it there. He goes on. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among, among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And there are lots of examples throughout the Bible. If you're not familiar with, with the Bible and you're here, we're, 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 it's fantastic that you're here. Speak to someone who's been upon the stage here afterwards and they'll point out to you where some, some of these things are in the Bible. But let me just tell you some of them. Um, we read that God shows no favoritism on the basis of age. Jesus loved children, he loved orphans, and yet he had great respect for older folks. He, had, he, he was no favoritism in terms of ethnicity. God's plan has always been to save a people for himself from every nation and tribe on earth. He, Jesus freely talked to the Samaritan woman uh, when, when uh, his, uh, f his fellow countrymen would, would not even have dared talk to her. The Holy Spirit came on many people of many nations. In the book of Acts, Je Jesus talked with the, with the educated Nicodemus and with just the regular fishermen. 
he, he, he hung out with uh, wealthy people like Matthew the tax collector and, and Zacchaeus and with, and with widows and with beggars. For all the focus on the apostles in the Gospels, it was Mary who anointed the feet of Jesus. It was his female disciples who were brave enough to go to the tomb first, to be the first witnesses of the resurrection. God does not show favoritism. Let's be clear, it's not that God has never chosen people who are educated or rich or good looking to follow him or, or, or anything like that. He certainly has. But they're probably not the majority. He has chosen many who are not. If, if the world was setting up a church like it sets up a, a company or a sports team or, or something like that, it would be looking for uh, wealthy individuals, wealthy donors, wealthy individuals, uh, intellectuals, sports stars, who can, who can, uh, social media influencers who can really... God chooses differently. He will choose some of them. He will choose many people who are not like that. In the, I don't know if you noticed in the passage in Deuteronomy there how God shows no favoritism, but that he does go out of his way to defend the cause of the poor, the vulnerable, strangers in society. Is that partiality? No. No, because favoritism always adversely affects. It always has an adverse impact on the poor and the vulnerable. And so God is very intentional about standing up for them, looking out for them. If we are to be impartial, we need to give that the same kind of attention. After all, think of all the people he could have saved. And he saved us. The people here around you, if you the people near you at home, the, the, the just normal people. Millions of ordinary people. He sees our hearts. He, he knows that we have rejected him. All of us have broken his good law. We're going to read that in a moment. Yet, yet despite any, any outward appearance of, yeah, I've got my life, I'm, I've got my life sorted out. You know. I don't have much hair, but it's styled well. You know, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah whatever, whatever great things I might be feeling about myself, inside I am broken before him. And if my life is to stay in that state, if our lives stay in that state, then we would be condemned to eternal death. And that would be impartial. That would be fair. That would be a fair judgment. But, but God loves mercy. God loves mercy. He writes at the end of this section that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so God chooses a people for himself. Not the richest, the strongest. He's going to choose people like us who've hated him, who've ignored him, who've turned our back on him. And he will change our hearts into hearts filled with love for him, for his people. Hearts that have a willingness to follow Jesus in all of life. He will give his people, verse 5 there, uh, they will be rich in faith. They will inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. 
that sounds good. And we know that God does not show favouritism when we look at ourselves. Because he saved us. And that's just crazy. John 13 verses 34 to 35. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one for another. We show the world and each other what God is like when we love each other. When we imitate Jesus. When we have no favoritism the alternative and james sets it out there the alternative is crazy we imitate the world and and james points out how mad that is at at this time uh, many of the poorer believers would have been uh, struggling to pay mortgages to unscrupulous landlords for their for their agricultural land Uh, some would be getting into debt with loan sharks and these rich people are taking them to court they're taking them to court and, and getting, we presume, getting their land confiscated and they're getting thrown in prison. Uh, others are, are mocking and slandering the name of Jesus, the faith of, of, of these Christian believers, mocking the church. There are a number of very early uh, pieces of graffiti that have been found by archaeologists, which basically say, Christians, uh, one I think is, here's a Christian, he looks like a donkey. Yeah, they're just, just mocking. On a very pragmatic level, James says, It makes no sense to treat people like that with favouritism. It still doesn't. Why do we think it's a good idea to to feed people's egos and treat them with with great preference when they want to exploit us? Or to turn around and mock us and attack us? That makes no sense. Well, James is going to gives another poke here and asks us some rhetorical questions. He wants us to be thinking about that. Okay, you've got your example. You know who you should be imitating. How are we doing? How are we really doing? Verses 8 through 11. Uh, I've, I've lumped them together to call these interrogating. A bit like in a 1950s film where the guy gets the bright light and shines it in your eyes and sort of uh, asks you the questions and sort of slaps you about until you, you know, a bit like that. Um, James wants us to look at our, our faith and our works. He's not looking for glib answers now. What's really the answer? Verse 8. James, James quotes the, the, the passage that the Jai read to us from Matthew. That in, uh, if you love your neighbour as yourself, then you are, he says here, then you are doing right. Even that quote from Matthew is, is Jesus repeating what's in Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, verse 18, interestingly, only three verses after God said, be impartial. So it's all, it's all lumped together in that same section of Leviticus. Um, no coincidence. Uh, oh, there in verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture love your neighbor as yourself you are doing right uh, notice the word really really if you really keep the royal law do you mean it you're just going through the motions you keep it all the time really if you really do then you're doing well. You're doing right. I felt convicted when I read that. 
I've got to tell you. Verse 9, James sets out the alternative. Favoritism is a sin. If you sow favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James calls it for what it is. That's the area for self-reflection. Which one are you in? How are you, how are you doing? How are we doing? How, how am I doing? How are we doing together? Because we break the law. We break this law that, that's written there. Love your neighbour as yourself. And, and James expands on that down in, in uh, verse uh, 10 to 11. Tells us something about the nature of the command. This in verse 1. Tells us something about what he's talking about here. This, this command, uh, love one another. Um, if we break one part of the law, we've broken all of it. I'm very clumsy. If you hang around with me with any length of time, you will realise that I'm clumsy. Have you ever done this thing? You're drying, a, you're drying a plate and you turn to put it away and you catch the edge of it on the edge of the kitchen counter. Chip flies off. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Um, but if I do that, the other crockery, the other plates and the bowls are okay. right? They're still usable. I've broken this one, but the rest are all right. They're okay. They're usable. God's law is not like that. God's law is like breaking a window. When you break a window, you've broken it. You've broken the whole thing. It's one complete thing. It is indivisible. One writer says this. What gives the law this, indiv- this indivisible nature is the character of God who spoke it. The character of God who spoke it. I thought this was great. This was really helpful. The commandments that God gives us in the Bible are not a set of rules that stand alone. Each one on its own. Oh, I've broken that. I've not broken that. I've broken that. I've not broken that. Um. They're not like the plates I've been breaking. They are the character and will of God expressed in words. These rules are the character and will of God expressed in words. So that when we break one, we're rebelling against the will and character of God. Not so much a particular rule. It's the fact that we're disobeying what, who God is and what he wants us to be like. The fact that we've rebelled, that we are lawbreakers, is a terrible thing. If that is all we know of our situation in our life, then that is a, a terrible situation to be in. But that's not the way it has to be. Because this law, verse 12, is designed to actually bring freedom. Freedom. And this starts to transition into to what Ben's going to be bringing us next week from, from the book of James. We're supposed to obey these rules, not because they bring salvation, but out of thankfulness for the salvation we've already received. We do not love our neighbour to win the approval of an angry God, but because a merciful God has already loved us by sending his son to die for us. If we've believed in Jesus, then we're already free. We're already free to follow this law. And this then is the wisdom that James imparts us at the end of this section, at our last point, verses 12 and 13. James imparts this, this truth to us. 
These verses read like they could have come from the, from the book of Proverbs or, or something like that. The law of God is not a set of constricting rules. It's the will of our creator. It's planted in the hearts of, our belie- of believers, chapter 1, verse 21. Why? So we, we can freely and joyfully and willingly follow what it says in all of life. It says that we can speak and act without favoritism. We can love our neighbours as ourselves and that is the mercy of God. That is the mercy of God. The Bible does not tell us to love each other so we can be accepted by God. Uh, instead we follow this, this royal law because it gives joy and pleasure to our King. It gives joy and pleasure to the one who has saved us already. The Holy Spirit will help us to do this because we are free. And, and, and verse 13 there, James just, just sums up what really what Jesus was saying in, in the, you might be familiar with uh, Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. He just sums that up there. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. God is merciful and he commands us to be merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One writer says this, In the cross of Jesus, get this, in the cross of Jesus, justice is fully done, its claims are fully met, and God's mercy to sinners triumphs in the provision of complete forgiveness, and full salvation. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy beats judgment. In judgment, the world says something like, oh, I'm better than you because of my, my uh, gender, my education, my ethnicity, my good looks. I'm better than you and uh, thanks because that's going to really build up my ego. So I'm really, really happy about that. Or on the other hand, the world says, I'm not as good as you. I'm not, I'm not as good as you because of your wealth and your age. You're so, you're so young or you are, you are very wise because you have many years. Uh, because of your education, because of your ethnicity. And so I feel intimidated by you or jealous of you. I feel perhaps just uh, oppressed by you, bitten up by you. Uh, I am being oppressed by you. I am being beaten up by you. You are not loving me. That's what the world says. That's what judgment says. The mercy, what mercy says, the message of mercy is. Jesus has left his glory in heaven to come to earth. He's given up his wealth and his power. He's come to earth. He's lived a human life. He's died a terrible, awful death that we can't even begin to get our heads around. And the message of mercy is that he's risen from the dead so that you can be saved. So that you can be free to follow him for all of your life. This is the message of mercy. The message of mercy is look at people like 
Jesus does, not in the way that the world does. They are all valuable because on some level they all have his image. We all have his image on, on, in, in some way. We don't always uh, recognize or understand. We're all valuable because Jesus wants us all to be saved. Christians have way more in common with other believers than, than the petty external differences that the world looks at. We have the Holy Spirit. We are heirs of the kingdom. We have been given gifts by Jesus. We have been saved. We have way more in common. His Spirit is in us. We have new hearts that he's given to us. So put aside these external differences that the world looks at and love each other as God has loved us. Because God is merciful and he commands us, he commands us to be merciful. Beloved brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is a light to our feet. It is a lamp to our path. Lord, I repent, Lord, we repent of where we have shown favouritism. Particularly where we have shown favouritism where we just know, where we knew it was wrong and we've still done it. Lord, we pray for those among us who have felt it sting. Lord, we pray for those among us who have suffered under the evil of favouritism. Lord, will you make us all more like your son, Jesus? Not to earn your approval, because you've already loved us. And boy, have you loved us, because you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. Father, we, we just pray once again that we would we're just going to bring our, our inadequacies and lay them at the foot of your cross. We're going to bring our suffering and lay them at the foot of your cross. We pray that you would deal with us mercifully. We pray that you would help us to deal with others mercifully, Lord. Please make us more like your son. Amen.